Uh, we're in week number two of a message series called One Life, and it's a campaign for us as a church. Before we jump in, though, this is a very significant weekend. Uh, there's so much happening globally right now. If you're watching the news, you know that just uh, about a week and a half ago, there was an earthquake in Syria and uh, Turkey, and it was a 7.8 magnitude. Uh, this earthquake rocked uh, the countries. 45,000 people have lost their lives and it's a great tragedy, so much pain, so much loss, and they need our prayers. They need us as a church to stand with them. Uh, there are close to 50 local churches on the ground that are doing ministry there in Syria and Turkey. So many of them are partnered together with Saddleback through Purpose Driven. Because of you and your generosity through the Accelerate offering, we were able to cut them a check to invest in the work there locally. So I wanna say thank you. Uh, actually, at the end of last year, you gave over $5 million above and beyond your regular giving. So a portion of that Accelerate offering from the end of the year is going to those churches. Uh, there's a pastor on the ground, his name is Nabil, and he's serving, he's empowering those churches. And we wanna pray for them. We wanna pray that God would bring hope in the midst of tragedy. We wanna pray that God would bring light, that God would bless those local churches. We believe that the local church, God uses the local church to bring his hope to the world. That's why we work with other local churches. And so we wanna pray for them there on the ground. So I wanna pause in the midst of this moment and just pray for those churches today and stand with them, asking God to use them to make a difference. Father, we know that in the darkness, your light shines bright. And there in the Middle East and Turkey and Syria, there's so much grief and loss. We pray for you to be a comforter, as your word says, Holy Spirit, to comfort those people. God, I pray that you would bless Pastor Nabil and the churches there, the 50 plus churches that are on the ground. I pray that you would pour out your grace, that you would use this tragedy to bring many thousands of people to know you as their Lord and Savior. God, thank you for Saddleback Church and the generosity of the people here, the heart, the desire to make a difference. And I pray that you would continue to use us to impact your world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, some of you perhaps may want more information. If you go to saddleback.com slash relief, you can get more information about how you can be a part. I know there are teams that are going and there are other ways that you can partner. So maybe God will stir in some of our hearts to partner that way. Today, as we continue our One Life journey, the big vision of this series is that God has designed your one life to make a difference. God's given you gifts. He's given you talents. He wants to use you to make a difference here on planet Earth. And we've all had experiences where we've seen our life make a difference. For me, it started when I was like a sophomore, junior in high school. I worked one summer uh, at McDonald's. Did anybody else ever work at McDonald's growing up, just out of curiosity? Okay, like seven people in this service. Have you ever eaten McDonald's? Raise your hand, just out of curiosity. Okay, thank you. Wasn't trying to shame you, just wanted to see if we had something in common. Uh, I worked there, actually, I worked on the cash register for a little while, and then they threw me back in the kitchen because I talked too much at the cash register. <laughs> it was probably not the best role for me as an extrovert, but one thing I did love is I loved the fact that in a brief interaction with another human, I could make a difference. I could smile, I could welcome somebody, I could be kind, and I could brighten somebody's day in a short period of time. Sometimes it went a little bit too long. But, but I realized God could use my life to make a difference. And that happened for me over a period of several years. I started seeing God use me 
to impact other people. And that's the vision. There's something inside of you that longs to make a difference with your life. And the greatest impact that you can make with your life, I love this quote from Pastor Rick. He says, the greatest use of your life is to invest it in that which will outlast it. So during this series, what we're focused on is we're focused on how do we take our lives that God has given to us and make a difference in the lives of other people. I wanna come back to this one life vision statement uh, because it's the big idea for the series. We wanna make the greatest possible difference with our one life, with the one life that God has given to us. Now, if I were to say to you, let's do some research on making a difference with our lives. Let's look online to find books. Let's go to watch some TED Talks on YouTube. There'd be a lot of different subjects that would come up when it comes to making a difference. There'd probably be some communication skills that we could gather. Uh, Maybe there's some time management skills that we could get. There are things that we could gather to make a difference. But there's one subject that is of utmost significance that is at the core of our lives counting, our lives making a difference. It's perhaps a pandemic in our culture. It's the issue of loneliness and it's the subject of friendship. And what I want to focus on today is how friendship is the track on which influence flows. If you're taking notes, the the phrase I have for you is better friends make a bigger difference. If I want to make a bigger difference with my life, I have to become a better friend. And I've noticed that friendship is at the core of influence. Friendship is what God uses to influence the lives of people around us. Now, as we journey together today and throughout this whole series, the big vision is your one life making a difference in another one life. So last week, we cast this vision for everybody to pray for one year for one person in their life who's never encountered the love of Jesus. And maybe you're listening to my voice or you're here today and this is your first time in church and you're not a follower of Jesus. And I would hope throughout the course of this series you'd hang in there and you'd hear our hearts that we, everything we do as a church is about bringing love to your life, bringing love to the life of those around us. And so this series is aimed to help equip you to make a greater difference. If you're not a follower of Jesus, everything that we're going to talk about today will help you as well when it comes to influence. So we've marked off a path for our journey together these four weeks. And we said the four key ingredients to influence. Last week we talked about prayer and how prayer is the foundation. It's asking God to do what only God can do. Today we're going to talk about the B, which is building friendships. Next week will be about cultivating conversations and how to have meaningful spiritual dialogue in a non-offensive, non-judgmental way. And then the fourth week we're going to talk about how to discern steps to help other people Uh, in their journey spiritually take steps. So today we're gonna come to this concept of building friendship. And I wanna share some stats with you that I found interesting this week. One in three adults in the United States say that they are lonely most or some of the time. And over the last 25 years, the number of adults who say they're lonely has over doubled. So this pandemic of loneliness is on the increase. And I would say that loneliness in our culture, uh, the the issue that we have with friendship is also impacting uh, our ability as followers of Jesus, those of us who are Christians, it's impacting our ability to make a difference with the love of God and the lives around us. And there's a trend that I've noticed, and I want you to see this little diagram that kind of marks the trend, that so often what happens is people who follow Jesus 
the longer they follow Jesus, the fewer friends they have who are not Christians or not followers of Jesus. And part of the problem is that we can get involved in church. Uh, perhaps maybe you have like seven small groups that you're a part of here at Saddleback. Uh, we, we have 900, almost 900 people that have signed up to host new small groups, which is incredible. Uh, maybe there's one of you that you said, I'm gonna host 12 groups or something like that. And if you did that, going back to this trend here, the natural tendency would be the longer you go, the fewer and fewer friends you have who've never encountered the love of Jesus. So to reverse this, we wanna look at Jesus as the model for friendship. So today, we're gonna go to Luke chapter five in the New Testament, and we're gonna look at four key character traits from Jesus that will help us become better friends. Now in Luke chapter five, Jesus is going to go to the place where a guy by the name of Levi is working. And it's good to know that Jesus is starting a small group. He's starting the first small group for the early church. He's picking out a group of men and women that he's gonna invest in intentionally that he will then mobilize, they're called his disciples, he will mobilize them to take the good news to the ends of the earth. But when Jesus comes, he comes as a rabbi. He comes as a religious teacher in the first century. And Jesus, if you juxtapose or compare Jesus as a teacher to other teachers, other religious teachers, the way Jesus went about building his team was way different than the other religious leaders. The other religious leaders, you'd have to go through an application process. You'd have to go through long schooling. It was like this long, drawn-out process. But when Jesus who claimed to be the Messiah, who was God in human flesh, when he came, the approach he took was very different than the other religious leaders. And we're gonna see from this passage how Jesus' approach really hacked off the other religious leaders. In Luke 5, it says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Now, Levi, later, Jesus would change his name to Matthew. So when you read the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, this is Levi. Levi is Matthew who wrote the book of Matthew. And those two names, sometimes it's called Levi, sometimes it's Matthew, either or. So Levi is at his tax collector's booth, and Jesus goes to him. Now, when you read about a profession, like in our culture, you know, you hear a profession, maybe there are images that come to mind. In the first century, when somebody heard the word tax collector, there was a whole host of things that came to mind for them. The tax collectors were Jews in the first century that represented the Roman government. So the Romans would go out, they would find Jewish people who would collect taxes from Jewish people, and the tax collectors built a reputation as being evil, they were liars, they were cheaters. If you were at a tax collector's party, you might hear something to the effect of, you should have seen what I did today. I doubled his taxes. I told him if he didn't pay me the taxes by tomorrow, I was gonna take his cat. Never mind, I didn't say cat, that wouldn't have worked. I said his dog, and he gave me his taxes. Sorry, I just had to slip it in there for you. Um, by the way, I really don't dislike cats. I just like to have fun with cat people. And, Total, total ADHD moment. This, I've never figured out a way to slip this into my message. I've had about 100 people ask me why I have a black ring on my finger. And um, it's just a sleep ring. It just measures my sleep. It has nothing to do with my sermon or it's nothing religious. It's just a sleep ring. I just slipped that in there so you could tell somebody if they ask you. Anyways, back to my point. <laughs> total, total ADHD moment. Back to my point about the tax collectors. The tax collectors had a reputation. 
And their reputation was they were liars, they were cheaters, they, they would steal. And Jesus, he went to Levi, he went to the tax collector's booth. And when he gets to Levi, look at what Jesus says. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up and followed him. No religious prerequisite, no course Jesus told him to take, nothing he had to figure out. He just said, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. He left everything that he had had and followed Jesus. So the first thing I want us to see from the ministry of Jesus, how Jesus befriended people, is number one, that Jesus went to them where they were. So if I want to be a friend like Jesus, I have to go to people, go to them where they are. And in parentheses, you might put the place where they are. This is about the place. People live, work, and play in different places. And Jesus, what Jesus did was he went out The other religious leaders, they expected people to come in, but Jesus went out. And this is the very message of Jesus. This is the message of the gospel. Jesus, God in human flesh, left the glory and comfort of heaven to become one of us. God took on human skin to come to humanity. This is what good friends do. And if I were to ask you, do you want a friend? Do you want some good friends? You'd probably raise your hand. Raise your hand if you want some friends. Like you want some more friends, good friends. Right. If you didn't raise your hand, that might be another conversation for you later. But, <laughs> but we all want good friends. And don't we so often when it comes to friendship, we want people to do things for us. Like I want people to celebrate my birthday. I want people to think of me. I want people to write me notes. I want people to come to me. But the model of Jesus when it comes to friendship is he took the first step towards us. You can see it over and over again in his ministry going to people. And you might draw a diagram that that looks like this in your notes. There are three things, three components to our lives where we live, where we work, and where we play. Now, some of us, we just have the live and work circle. We don't have any play, kind of like the old little children's book that said, all work, no play, make Jack a dull boy. And somebody told me after one of my services, there's a Shining reference in there somewhere, but I don't watch bad movies, so I wouldn't know that. Um, But if you have, that's also a a part of it. So, um, but we live, we work, and we play. And when you think about your life in those circles, they're the street that you're on, the neighborhood that you live in, the apartment complex where you are, you live there on purpose. God put you there for a reason because there are people God wants to use you to spread his love to, his kindness to. And there's a subtle shift in our thinking that is so important. Going with love is often as simple as being more intentional. So going is often just a little bit of a shift with our lives. It's being more intentional in the places where we are. When I look back over my journey spiritually, when I was a freshman in high school, my life began to be changed by Jesus. I played football, I wrestled, uh, and I started to see, okay, in my environment with football and wrestling, I can make a difference. I can love people. Uh, When I became a college student, I would go out on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, I go to the basketball courts or the, the volleyball courts and the place where my little, the little quad where I lived as a college student and I would just build friendships. When Stacy and I got married and we started to have kids, the kids were toddlers and those of you who have toddlers, you know those moments where you go to the park and you, you're like there for 20 minutes and it, it feels like you've been there four hours and, <laughs> and you see another parent and you're like, oh, another person I can talk to. And, and there's a power in just being a little bit more intentional in the relationship, in the conversation. 
Every season of life, you are living, working, and playing. You're going different places. And a little bit of a shift in our perspective can make a significant difference to say, I'm here, and even to develop consistency. So I like to think in terms of going to the same place to get my hair cut. Going to the, I went one time to a place called, oh, I, should, I shouldn't say the company, never mind. Uh, I just caught myself. <laughs> Um, but I, I did stop going there one time when they cut the back of my hair at a 45-degree angle. And I was like, okay, well, I need another place to be consistent at, at least a good barber. But the consistency allows us to make a difference. And Jesus, he went to where people were. I was convicted this last week. We, we have a construction, a little small renovation project going on at our house. And um, I'm just like so ready to have these people out of my house. It's like they're there all the time. They're there on my day off. They're there when I'm trying to take a nap. They're there. And I was praying this week, preparing for my message, and I felt like the Holy Spirit convicted me, like, Andy, you, all, all you want to do is get these people out. You're just concerned about the project. I'm concerned about people. You want to finish the project. I'm working on people. And a subtle shift. So I had an idea. I didn't share it with Stacy until I was on the stage yesterday. Um, <laughs> But I had an idea when the, when the project is done to invite all of these workers that have worked on my house to come and see the final product of what they've done. And then I can just invite them to Saddleback Church when they're there at my house. But the simple, subtle, you're in my home, I, I want to leverage that influence to make a difference. It's shifting our perspective to be more intentional in the places where we already are. Now, Jesus, as he goes to the tax collector's booth, it says, then afterwards, Levi held a great banquet at his house, and he invited Jesus. So he, as he held this great banquet, a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Now notice this. The tax collectors come together, and when they come together, this is not like a church gathering. This is not a Saddleback small group where they're sitting around talking about one life material. Like this is a party, and probably a good chunk of these guys are drunk. And they're, they're doing you know, what tax collectors do, but Jesus is there in their midst. And it brings a second point that is so important when it comes to friendship. In order to build a friendship, I have to accept somebody for who they are. We have to accept them for who they are, where they are in their life. Now, I want to clarify, accepting somebody for who they are doesn't mean that I have to affirm the choices that they're making. In fact, sometimes somebody can be making destructive choices with their lives. The best way to influence that person is not with judgment, it's through friendship. So Jesus understood this. He went to the place where people who struggled were. This is often different than how we think about our growth spiritually. You know, one of God's primary purposes for our lives is that we would grow to become more and more like Jesus. And so often, when I thought of spiritual formation or growth spiritually, I would think, uh, maybe like as I go on my journey, the longer I live, the less I'll sin. And maybe I'll get down the road and I'll like have a day where it's like, oh, I only sinned once today. I still haven't had that day. And it shows, it shows in our hearts how often we have the wrong goal. I want you to see this goal that we often think of like, well, maybe the longer I follow Jesus, the number of sins will just keep getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And it's almost like a sponge that when you wring it out, you're like, there's still more there. There's still things that need to change. And so now, 25, 30 years of following Jesus there's still so much that God is at work on my heart with. And it's often feels to me like the, the further I go, the more I realize 
God needs to change me. So I've learned over time to have a different goal. A better goal is this, to think about my journey through the lens of the amount of love. So the longer I follow Jesus, I want the love quotient to grow. And this would be a great question for your small group or around a dinner table with your friends or your family to say, the longer you know me and you look back over my life, is there more love that you experience because of me? And I've noticed if I focus on loving more, I actually will sin less. So the focus of loving the people around me, Jesus did this so beautifully. He went to where they were, and then he loved them for who they were. He accepted them for who they were. It reminds me of a friend of mine, a guy by the name of Fernando. I met Fernando in the lobby of church, and he comes up to me, and he wanted to make it really clear like he was there because his wife dragged him to church. Maybe there's some of you who are here today for that reason as well. We're glad you're here. And Fernando, as he came up, he's like, you know, very muscular, tatted, top to bottom. I mean, like really tough dude. Looked like an MMA fighter. Like he could throw me on the ground in a nanosecond. So I'm smiling very nice to him. And as he walks up, he starts talking. And I started asking him questions about his journey spiritually. And he starts to share with me how he grew up in church and had a bad experience. He felt judged whenever he would go to church. He felt unloved. And I could see the pain in this guy's eyes. And almost with tears in his eyes, looking at me, just describing his story. And I remember just reaching out, putting my arms. I'm, I'm so sorry, Fernando, that this has been your journey. And I, I remember over the next few months, watching God begin to change this guy's life. Seeing him soften, his heart becoming open to God. And then finally, he made a decision to follow Jesus with his whole heart. And he said, Andy, I want to get baptized. Will you baptize me? And one of my greatest memories is the privilege of getting in the water with Fernando and seeing him take that step to get baptized. I have a picture here I thought you would like to see. You can see tough dude, don't mess with him. And then here's the baptismal picture right there. That's, that's the love of God at work, accepting us where we are, loving us for who we are. That's what Jesus did. He loved people in their brokenness. But part of what Jesus was doing in loving people, loving us in our brokenness, is seeing what we could become with his love. And I want you to notice how as Jesus did this, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you cross the religious barrier? Why are you going out to these places, these parts of town that you're not supposed to be in? Jesus was judged for his love for the people who were broken. And it says Jesus responded to them. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners to repentance. In essence, Jesus is saying, I'm going to people in their brokenness and I'm leading them to spiritual health. I'm leading them to transformation and I'm seeing them for who they can become. And that's the third part of being a good friend. I have to see them for who they can become. There is a power when you look at somebody and you see the potential of what God has placed inside of them. Every single human being, children, students, adults, 
Every person on the face of the planet is a human that God has created, latent with potential, where the hand of God, the design of God with that personality and those gifts, there's so much that God can do in that person to transform them. And the Spirit of God, the Scripture says, when the Spirit of God is at work inside of a human heart, there's fruit that comes out of it. The Scripture calls the fruit the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That when the Spirit of God comes, he takes hard hearts and makes them soft. He takes angry people and fills them with joy. He takes aimless people and gives them purpose. He takes people living with anxiety and fills them with his peace. Jesus changes people's lives. And God wants his people, his kids who have been transformed to become the kind of people that when they look at others in their eyes, they see the potential of what God can do in and through them. It reminds me of another story, a guy by the name of Jason. I met Jason, he wanted to work on our security team at church. Six foot four, 240 pounds, looked like a tight end for the New England Patriots or Kansas City Chiefs if you like them. And he was a big dude. He wanted to work on the security team, which is a great place for people who are six foot four. I'm grateful for our security team here at Saddleback, by the way, for all their hard work. So Jason starts working on the security team, and we're like, bro, you, you can't be that mean to people. Like, this is church. You can't, you can't talk like that to them. What's in the bag? You know, it's like... He's a little more gentle. Just, you know, walk up, ask them their name. Tell them good to see them. Tell them you're glad they're here. Like, you know, just love them first. And I watched, I watched over the next five years, I watched Jesus radically change Jason's life. I watched over time, his heart became soft, kind, loving, gentle. I watched him with the same courage start to love and influence men and pour into their lives. I watched these different groups of small groups pop up because of Jason's influence. And over a period of time, I saw his life radically changed. I've seen it time and time again that Jesus changes people's lives. But it requires, there is a power in someone believing in that person before anyone else does. There is a power when you see what God can do in a person's life before he does it. The people around you need you to see that potential as you build friendship with them. And when you do this, when we do this, as a church, as individuals, we'll gain a reputation. And sometimes that reputation won't be great. But Jesus was never concerned with guilt by association. Jesus was never worried, oh, if I go to be around a religious ear, Religious people, irreligious people. That was a tough one to get out. If I go around people whose lives are broken, that's a better one. Um, If I go around people whose lives are a mess, he's not worried about the reputation that he would develop. The religious leaders in Matthew 11, 18 and 19, listen to these words. For John came, Jesus is speaking, and he's talking about the words that the religious leaders said about him. For John came, neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus got the reputation of becoming a friend of sinners. I am so glad that the God of the universe, when he became one of us, was willing to be a friend of sinners. He is the truest, kindest, 
best friend that we could ever have. And I'm so grateful that he bridged the gap. He became one of us. He came to us. He loves us in our mess. And in the midst of that, he gained a reputation as a friend of sinners. It reminds me of another time when we started our church in the Bay Area. Somebody came to me one time. It was another pastor. And he said, you know, people are hearing stories about your church and they're hearing about how all these people are coming from unchurched backgrounds and you're kind of becoming a reputation as a church that's just like focused on unchurched people. And I was like, is that a slam or is that a compliment? I can't figure it out. But I'm so grateful that that's the reputation of Saddleback. Saddleback, our legacy has been a church that no matter what your background is, you can come and feel loved. You can come with your mess, bring it to God, and watch him change your life. That is good news for us, friends. The house of God, the local church, is the extension of God's love here on planet Earth. So the more that we see the people around us for the potential of what God can do through our lives, the more and more we are like Jesus. The world is starving for friends. The world is looking for people that will love them where they are and lead them to the kindness of God and see him transform their lives. This is why I get so excited on the weekends to see people come together, that there's something so beautiful when the doors of the local church are open and there's smiles on people's faces and there's coffee and you see people interacting on the lobby and the patio and you see Jesus bringing this love together. Friendships are forming. There's something so beautiful about the local church because we get to be the extension of Jesus' friendship here on planet Earth. But not only do we do this as we gather, we get to do this all throughout the course of the week. So when service is done on a weekend, there's a full week that we can still be the hands and feet of Jesus all throughout the week. And it brings me to the fourth and final component of becoming a good friend like Jesus. It's to do life with the people around us, to do life with them. This is what the Bible calls hospitality. It's opening our lives to those around us so that they can experience the love of Jesus. There is power when a follower of Jesus is hospitable. First Thessalonians chapter two, verse eight, Paul is speaking and he says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Paul is saying, we came with this precious message that God came from heaven to earth. And the message was that God in human flesh paid the price, stretched out his arms, had nails in his hands and feet, a crown of thorns in his head, and as his blood was spilled down his body, he did it for love. And as he conquered the grave three days later, he came forth victoriously, making a way so that all of humanity can have a relationship with God. This is the gospel message. But Paul says, when we brought you the gospel message, we didn't just proclaim the gospel message to you, we lived it with you. We did life with you in such a way that you experienced the transformation of Jesus in our lives. And as a result of that, we became dear friends. You see in the book of Thessalonians, Paul just describing this dear friendship that he had with this church. And there's such a beauty in when a follower of Jesus is an open person that loves those around them. When our lives are kind and hospitable, there's a power. Again, There are people around us, they they may have different values, they may have different worldview. And your acceptance of somebody is not an affirmation of that worldview 
or their choices or their beliefs. It's you loving them. And all of us who've been changed by the message of Jesus had somebody that did this with us. I'm so grateful for the people who took their one life and let God use their one life so that my one life could be impacted. And now we get to be on the giving end. So I wanna give you a goal that is a goal in our home. We wanna make our home a hospitable hub of friendship. So we want the doors of our home to be the place where for our kids and their friends that they wanna hang out. We asked our oldest, Stacy said, Cademan, um, what do we need to do for your friends to want to come over more? And he said, well, if you could stop serving carrots, that sure would help. <laughs> so Stacy bought some pizza pockets and Cokes. And I just, I have this image in my mind of our home for our kids being this place where people, kids, their friendships, they come. And I, I even think about sitting on a couch with my son and his friends and 15, 16 year old kid walking through the most horrendous circumstances in his life. But if for an hour he could be in a home where he's loved and accepted, for an hour he can be in a place where he knows he's wanted, the power of that. There's a beauty when our lives are filled with love and hospitality. And I wanna encourage you to become the kind of person, God gave you a home for a reason. God gave you an apartment for a reason. And he wants to use that place as a hub to bring his love to planet earth. So there's two simple actions that I wanna invite you on this journey with us. Number one, there were 3,500 of you that said yes to the One Life Challenge. You said, I'm gonna pray for One Life. And we're praying that there would be 10,000 people here at Saddleback Church that take that commitment. It's not too late to say, I'm in. I'm gonna pray for One Life that God would use me to impact over the next year. And in just a moment, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that. And I want you to imagine the power of that. If we take our campuses and our online family and our extensions all over the world, could you imagine if the tens of thousands of people that call Saddleback their home were just to live out the message that we talked about today? There is so much power of what God could do collectively through our one lives together. We have a rich 43 year legacy of being a church where people at the very beginning opened up their lives to spread the love of Jesus and we've been changed as a result. But God did not bring us this far to stop. There's so much more that God wants to do through us in the future. And right now is an opportunity to say, God, I'm jumping in with that mission that you've given to our church once again. In addition to this, uh, one of the best ways that we can do life with others is by opening our home to host a small group. Again, there are like 900, just under 900 people that have taken that commitment already to sign up and say, I'm gonna host a group for the very first time. And we're praying for a thousand. And there, there are gonna be another 100 people this weekend that say yes to make that commitment. And we wanna invite you. You don't have to have religious pedigree. You don't have to have gone to seminary. Simply by hosting a group in your home, you can make a difference. You don't even have to serve chocolate cake. You can just give water. I know you have water at your house. So simply opening the door of your home and talking through a few questions, you can make a huge difference. So I wanna encourage you, if you haven't, to take those two steps. If you will, will you bow your heads with me for just a moment? And I wanna invite you just to put down the things that are in your hand. And just as an act of surrender, you might open your hands 
today to say, God, I'm available to you. Help me be a good friend, Jesus. And perhaps maybe right now in this moment, you might thank God for the friendship that he's displayed. He's the truest, kindest friend that you will ever have. Some of you today, perhaps you've never opened your heart to friendship with Jesus, and you can do that. By faith in the Son of God who gave his life on a cross for you, by faith in his resurrection, today you can yield your whole heart to God and begin a friendship with him that goes from now through all eternity. I might say to you today, as you're contemplating this decision, this is the most important decision you will ever make. And you don't have to do life alone. There's a family here. We want to be your family. And in addition to that, there's a God that wants to do life with you. And today, by opening your heart to him, you can begin that friendship with God. If that's you, I want to invite you right now in this moment just to say, God, I surrender to you. Jesus, I open my heart and my home to you. Help me follow you with my entire life. Please forgive me for my past. Now, God, I want to thank you right now in this moment for people that made a decision to follow you. Others of us were saying yes to your call, your invitation to let you use our one lives to make a difference. We say yes to you today in Jesus' name. Amen.